There was a recent study done by the University of Michigan on emojis. The most popular emoji in the United States, but not just the United States, around the world, except for France, is the emoji with the laughing and the tears. You know that emoji? I have a friend who uses it all the time. Loves, I think it's his favorite emoji. But it's lots of people's favorite emoji. It is used all the time. Number two and three are both dealing with hearts. Um, it's the emoji with a heart, and it's the emoji with heart eyes. Um, love and tears, those seem to be the things that people use a lot of. And in an article, when talking about this, they were describing the original emojis. You know, the ones that we still use at times, the colon with the part of a parenthesis for a smile or the upper, you know, for the frown. Um, but what was most interesting is why we use them. There is a disconnect when you are texting, right? I mean, you can text something and, and somebody gets it and they could hear two opposite things from what you said. They could hear something that makes them laugh or they could hear something that goes, how would they say that and be really offended? And, and the use of those emojis began at least partly as the means of communicating what I'm really trying to say when there wasn't the physical, social cues that we normally have. It was a means of helping us get it. This actually was a joke. This person is really actually sad by this. It's not a joke. This morning, we get a kind of emoji for God. For God to communicate to his people how he really feels. Because I don't know about you, but I could misunderstand God sometimes. Sometimes the things that happen in my life, when I look to God, I think wrong things about him because of what's happening. It's like I can't see his social cues. I need God to be here so I can see the expression on his face when something happens so I can get, okay, he actually is in charge of this. He hasn't just left me. This morning, we get a kind of emoji for God, communicating the heart of God to his people. Open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 19. We're continuing where we left off. And it's a very strange scene. But a very powerful and deep one. Remember, last week, and what we just read, and what you just saw, what we studied, were all these disciples that are rejoicing. They are praising God. They are coming down the hill with their king. Nothing could be wrong. It is this huge, great, amazing party because God has returned finally. He's coming back to the temple. What they've been waiting for since his presence left. It finally happened. But verse 41, it gives a very different picture. And when he drew near... 
He saw the city. He wept over it. Now just get the image in your head. They're coming down the hill. They're they're going to the Kidron Valley. They may be going up towards Jerusalem at this point. And, And they've met the Pharisees. Everybody is rejoicing. They are, they've thrown their cloaks down. And some of the other versions, the palms that you saw, all of this is happening. He talks to the Pharisees. And then as they go along, he starts weeping. Like the people around him are still rejoicing. And right in their midst, he is weeping. And this is a very strong word. Hey, this is not silent tears that you don't notice. You know, like when you're watching a movie and it's kind of dark and a few tears come down and you're able to kind of wipe them away before anybody sees them, especially if you're a guy. This is not that. In fact, these next next words, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. These are coming out between sobs. This is a very powerful moment in the Son of God. And you have to ask this question. Why is God weeping in the midst of his people rejoicing? Why is he weeping? Verse 42. Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. He is weeping because he wanted his people to have peace. He is weeping because he knew the potential of this moment. What this could have meant for his people. He is weeping. He is broken up because they didn't recognize what could have made for peace. And it hurts him. It hurts the heart of God. Do you know how much, and please don't answer too quickly, do you know how much God loves you? You see, this image right here, this is part of the emoji. The tears of God when his people don't get the peace that he longs for them to have. He wants it so badly that he weeps. But they can't, they can't see it. It, it. If you had known the things, if you had known them, if you could have recognized them, here is God right in their midst doing something that they actually want. Can I just ask you to do something? And I, I don't rarely do this. Raise your hand if you want peace in your life. God wanted that for them. Let me just think about that. Have you ever wanted something for someone so badly and you knew they could have had it, but they were making decisions that took it away from them? And there's nothing you could really do about it. You had to let them make those decisions. You couldn't stop them, but you're going, it does not have to be this way. That, that's what he's feeling because he wanted peace. Peace. 
but now they are hidden from your eyes. It's interesting. Um, so as many of you know by now, uh, my, my dog annoys me quite a bit. Um, she drives me nuts. I, I, just day after day after day, um, she is still in the house because my family loves the dog. But here is something that she has begun recently. And I about lose it every time it happens. We are downstairs. It is nighttime. We're, it could be that Aaron and I are watching a show or something. The kids are upstairs playing. And the light is on upstairs. The dog looks into the window and she sees the reflection of what's happening upstairs and she goes nuts. I'm like, stop! And you cannot get her to stop. She's, it's like she develops hiccup, burp, or hiccup um, barking. It's like, her whole body is doing this. You're like, dog, stop, it's the kids. And here's the worst part. The dog will take her toys upstairs. There are times where I am walking upstairs to get her toy for her. And she is barking like a mad animal at me. I'm breaking this down for you, you and a bad animal. <laughs> but she just can't see it. Like she, she's so fixated on what she thinks is happening that she's blinded to what is actually happening. That's what's happening to the people. They're blinded. They can't see that Jesus coming in is to bring them peace. Why are they blinded? Keep reading with me. For the days will come upon you when you know you, when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will leave not one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. For the days will come. What's happening to them right now is not a single moment. It's not a single incident. It's not a single point in history where they're missing what God is doing. It's a pattern. And it's a pattern that's going to continue for many years. This is around 30 AD. In 70 AD when the Romans come in and they fulfill what Jesus says here, it'll have been 40 years. But they will still be missing it. In Scripture, there's a word for this. Hardened hearts. Sometimes connected to blindness as it is here. But there's a hardness in them where they cannot see what God is doing. There's a story where Jesus is in the, the synagogue and there's a man with a withered hand and he stands the man up in front of everybody and he, he holds the hand out and he says to them, he asks them this question, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? They won't answer. And two things happen. He looks at them in anger and he grieves over their hardened hearts. Both things. Because this man on the Sabbath, as we have taught here before, the Sabbath was meant for healing, for restoration. And on the Sabbath, there's an opportunity for this man to be healed and they can't see it. And he is angered and 
as he does here, he grieves over their hardened hearts. Now, I want to give you a picture because I think one of the most significant things you can take this morning is this whole idea of a hardened heart. Um, Brian, can you bring that? And bringing, Brian is bringing up a, a bowl of water. And it's the same bowl last week that had all the rocks in it. And I've got one of the rocks. Last week we talked about the rocks that would cry out. That if the disciples stopped, creation would glorify him. Because nothing would stop the Son of God from being glorified as king. Well, this is a hard object. This rock is hard. And here's what happens when you take this rock and you surround it by water. You pick it up. A little bit starts to drip off. But if I go set this down on my chair, by the end of the sermon, by the end of the service, for sure, the rock will basically be dry. It won't have soaked up any of this. This is what I think a hardened heart does. And by the way, mine is in here too. We listen to the word of God. We get surrounded by it. We even feel the spirit moving. We get excited. We say amen, especially if you're Anton. (laughs) And by the time we leave, we're already dry. By the time we walk out of here, we might remember the stories. I mean, to be honest, I have considered, except I don't want to put you to sleep, I have considered doing a sermon without a single illustration in it. Because sometimes I feel like the illustrations are meant to, to make it sink in. But sometimes I'll remember the illustrations. And, and when we get home, whatever it is we've been taught, whatever it is we went amen to, we don't actually apply. And do you know what happens when you do that over and over and over and over again? You get hardened to the truth. It's not actually sinking in. It, it's, it's getting you wet. You feel it. You sense it. You laugh at it. You smile at it. You amen it. But you don't go home and go, you know what? I am going to forgive that person. Because that is what God has told me to do. I am going to sacrifice whatever it might be because that is taking up my cross. Because this is what a softened heart looks like. And when it gets in water... you got to squeeze it to get all of it out of there. I mean, it soaks it up. It takes it in. It doesn't just lose it. It doesn't just dry out. When you hear it and you put it in practice. Last week when we talked about submission, we quoted John 8, 31 and 32. It's when you abide in the word that you are set free. It's when the heart is soft enough to take it in That it actually sits in there. I mean, these things come out of our bath. My kids play with these. And like two days later, they're going, pull that thing out. And you grab it up. It still is wet. That's a softened heart. And it only comes 
through obeying the word over and over and over and over again as the spirit works on our lives over and over again for the rest of our lives. A hardened heart is what they have. And because of it, they can't see what God is doing. They can't recognize right in front of them that God is working. This is what he calls them to, a softened heart. And and you can't just soften your own heart. You can't just will it and go, all right, my heart is soft now. What you can do is step by step, you can take everything you learn from the word of God and you can say, Holy Spirit, put this in my life. And you can not settle for just hearing the word, but you can do it. And let the Spirit soften your heart and let the Word of God sink into it so that you soak it up and it stays there. I mean, it's, it's already dry. I haven't even finished my sermon. I mean, I've still got like 30 minutes left. And... <laughs> you laugh. <laughs> I believe God is weeping because he wanted them so much to have peace. He loves his people so much. He wanted them to know what they actually want. But number one, their hearts were so hard. They're so blinded that they couldn't see it. But part of that blindness and hardness comes from the second part of why they couldn't receive what God wanted them to have. They were trusting in something other than God. Keep going. Verse 45, and he entered the temple and he began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. I mean, just think about the emotions in this scene. You go from... Jesus coming to the point that was like the culmination of everything he's been preaching. The king is coming to the city. And the people are rejoicing. To he is weeping uncontrollably. To he walks into the temple. And this is not like a pretty scene. He's not walking up to the the, the tables and going, tip. Um, This is, he is knocking them over. He makes a whip. I mean, this is. You go from this rejoicing and this celebration to weeping to anger. Holy, righteous anger. So what's happening here? They have definitely done exactly what he said, because he said it. They've turned the house into a den of robbers. And historically, you've got this section, the court of Gentiles, where anybody could have come in and prayed. They could have sought Yahweh. The nations could have come. And this area is being used for selling and buying. And the selling and buying actually, in and of itself, wasn't necessarily bad. The pilgrims had to travel from quite a ways away. Carrying all of the things that they would sacrifice would have been challenging. Instead, they could come and they could buy it. It's not a terrible thing, but what they've done with it, they appear to have taken over the court, and there's some dishonesty going on. There's a bunch going on here where he says, you have changed the house of God into a den of robbers. And I want to suggest there are two things that are happening. 
Number one, they are taking the things of God and they are using them however they please to get what they want for them. They are taking the temple. The temple. God gave this to them as a means of worship, as a means of coming before Him and praying and seeking Him and seeing His face. They're using it for their own gain. And I want to ask you a very challenging question. What are you doing with the things that God has blessed you with? Are you using them for His glory or for your gain? Are you using the gifts of God to somehow bring peace to yourself through your own means? Or are you giving them back to Him? Are you seeing them all as things that He has given that you can use for His glory? But on top of that, they're trusting the temple. The temple plays a huge role throughout Judaism. Huge role in the Gospels. I mean, Jesus gets, at the beginning of his life, that's where you find him. You find his first teaching there when he's 12 years old. You find him talking about tearing the temple down and he'll raise it up in three days. And they go, you can't do that. And he's talking about his body. At one point, they'll even use that at his trial. That's one of the accusations, that he would tear the temple down. You find Jesus talking of himself at one point saying, something greater than the temple is here. Right after this, and he was daily teaching in the temple. It plays a huge role. But in Judaism, the temple was something they trusted in. As long as they had the temple, they could be right with God. As long as they had the temple, they were God's people. They were the chosen ones. Everybody else was not. They trusted so much in the temple. Do you remember that scene where they're looking at the stones and everybody's like, wow, look at this amazing thing. And Jesus goes, not one stone will be left on another. They have a huge confidence in the temple. Here's the thing. Sometimes I think we have more confidence in God's gifts than we do in God. We have more confidence in the things that God gives than in the giver himself. And that's what they're doing. And when that happens, we will miss what God is about. We will be turning away from... I'm going to give you a story that I'm sure you will all know. Um, And I think this story describes in many ways what is happening right here in this scene. And I think what happens in our hearts. Um, It's going to take me about three minutes. It's lengthy, but I want you to hear the whole thing. And again, most of you have heard this before. Um, I will acknowledge up front, there are like a plethora of understandings of this particular story. Um, And they go from one side to the other. Um, Huge discrepancies. I'm not too worried about that. I think this story says something. Once there was a tree, and she loved a little boy. And every day the boy would come, and he would gather her leaves and make them into crowns and play king of the forest. He would climb up her trunk and swing from her branches and eat apples. And they would play hide-and-go-seek. And when he was tired, he would sleep in her shade, and the boy loved the tree very much. And the tree was happy. But time went by. And the boy grew older, and the tree was often alone. 
Then one day the boy came to the tree and the tree said, Come, boy, come and climb up my trunk and swing from my branches and eat apples and play in the shade and be happy. I am too big to climb and play, said the boy. I want to buy things and have fun. I want money. Can you give me some money? I'm sorry, said the tree, but I have no money. I have only leaves and apples. Take my apples, boy, and sell them in the city. Then you will have money and you will be happy. And so the boy climbed up the tree and gathered the apples and carried them away. And the tree was happy. But the boy stayed away for a long time. And the tree was sad. And then one day the boy came back and the tree shook with joy. And said, come boy, come up my trunk and swing from my branches and be happy. I am too busy to climb trees, said the boy. I want a house to keep me warm, he said. I want a wife and I want children. And so I need a house. Can you give me a house? I have no house, said the tree. The forest is my house, but you may cut off my branches and build a house. Then you will be happy. And so the boy cut off her branches and carried them away to build his house. And the tree was happy. But the boy stayed away for a long time. And when he came back, the tree was so happy She could hardly speak. Come, boy, she whispered. Come and play. I am too old and sad to play, said the boy. I want a boat that will take me far away from here. Can you give me a boat? Cut down my trunk and make a boat, said the tree. Then you can sail away and be happy. And so the boy cut down her trunk and made a boat and sailed away, and the tree was happy, but not really. And after a long time, the boy came back again. I'm sorry, boy, said the tree but I have nothing left to give you. My apples are gone. My teeth are too weak for apples, said the boy. My branches are gone, said the tree. You cannot swing in them. I am too old to swing on branches, said the boy. My trunk is gone, said the tree. You cannot climb. I'm too tired to climb, said the boy. I am sorry, sighed the tree. I wish that I could give you something, but I have nothing left. I am just an old stump. I am sorry. I don't need very much now, said the boy. Just a quiet place to sit and rest. I am very tired. Well, said the tree, straightening herself up as much as she could. Well, an old stump is good for sitting and resting. Come, boy, sit down. Sit down and rest. And the boy did, and the tree was happy. I want to kind of do that emoji when I finish reading this. I want to cry and smile at the same time. I I don't know whether to be happy that the tree was happy or sad. I'm just... And that's what this story is that we're reading. This story is God giving of himself to his people and they keep taking his stuff and trying to use it for their own means. Trying to find peace through what they can do with what he gives, but not through him. They keep trying to find security, satisfaction, fulfillment, happiness, through what God gives, but not through the giver. And in this story, no matter how you take it, this is what you see. The boy keeps coming back and saying, I need this because I'm not happy, I'm not satisfied, I'm not fulfilled. And the tree says, here it is. But every time it comes back, the tree says, Here's what I have for you. Do you remember? Do you remember when you just enjoyed my shade? When you swung on the branches, when you ate the apples, when you and I enjoyed one another? 
I want this. I want that. Give me what I want. And then at the very end, the only place that he can truly find what he's looking for is where he started. And here's the sad part for me. How many years did he waste? How many years did he waste trying to find what the tree was offering all along? Thinking he needed something else. He needed something outside of the tree. How many years will we waste, church, not loving the giver, not being satisfied with what the giver gives, but continually taking his gifts and then using them our own way, using them to try to get something instead of accepting them and enjoying him for giving them. I've talked to a number of older folks and it seems like age does something to help you get it. Age seems to do something to make you a little bit less uptight about so many things. A little less afraid of some of the things you were afraid of when you were younger. A little more accepting. I don't want to wait that long. I don't want to wait until I've completely decimated the tree to finally go sit on the trunk and go, none of that worked. I just wasted years when I could have been going, Lord, whatever you give, that's what I'll receive. Whatever you have for me, whether it is hard or easy or joyful or sad, whatever you have for me, you have it for me. We sang last week that we know the plans God has and they are good. They are for my good even when they are hard, even when I don't understand them, can we receive from the giver and embrace that because of who he is? Because here's the result of not. In 70 AD, the thing that they trusted, the thing that they hoped would bring them what God wanted to give them, was destroyed. Mark my words and talk to somebody who's gone through a lot more life and just ask them if this is not true. Anything you trust in outside of God will fail you. Money will fail you. Jobs will fail you. Health will fail you. Friends will fail you. Everything will fail you at some point outside of God. And it doesn't mean you give up on friends or relationships or work. It means if you do not find your ultimate security and peace and meaning and purpose in God himself, you will be let down. And he's offering it. I want to read this quote because I think it says it well. We once had a childlike love of God. We understood that God loved us, and that was enough. Just, do you imagine if that were true? We understood God loved us, and that was enough. Yet, life gets complicated as we get older. We get complicated too. Amen to that. We want more things, more expensive things. Yet, God has remained the loving presence God has always been. 
God gives us blessings which we squander. God gives us gifts and graces which we use for our own purposes. God gives us grace which we do not appreciate. No matter how many times we turn away, God remains ever in love with us. I thought about the boy, now an old man, who just wants to rest so that he rests on the tree. Listen to this line. I do not want to wait until I am an old woman to rest in God. Nor do I want to spend, have spent my whole life taking from God and never reciprocating. There are, I am ashamed to say, large chunks of my life where I was that selfish boy. I saw only what was of use for me in accomplishing my will. God was the means through which I obtained things, not the end that God deserves to be. Let that soak into your heart. God was the means through which I obtained things, not the end that he deserves to be. Will you let God be the end? Not just a means by which you try to attain what you want. But we learn to enjoy him and say, he loves me. That is enough. He loves me so much, he wept. I think his weeping may have actually started when he made the statement. Because when he said, if they stop, these stones would cry out. I think he meant exactly what we talked about last week. He would be known as king no matter what, even if creation had to do it. But I also can't help but wonder if there was something darker in that. That when my people cease to proclaim me as their king, not just with their words, but in their lives. It means that something else has taken that place. And that thing will crumble. I can't help but wonder if he also saw that the rocks, the rubble that would be left, would cry out, you have rejected your king. Let's hold on to our king, first and foremost, because he is our king. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, let us embrace your love. Let us not just pass over it. Let something like John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, let it not go in one ear and out the next. Or let it sink into our hearts, soften our hearts, so that we can receive what you are doing, so that we can embrace you for who you are, not for what you give. And Lord, that we can use what you give for your kingdom, for your glory, not for our own. Lord, thank you for your great and amazing and never-ending love. In Christ's name.